From the 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories Storytelling Show, this is Immigration Stories with Nestor Gomez. Stories and conversations with immigrants, refugees, second, third generations, and allies, where we explore the ideas, policies, and histories that forge national identity, community, and belonging in America. We are your hosts, Angel Ling and Nestor Gomez. We return again and again in our 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories live shows and the stories we curate for this podcast to the theme of belonging and how we can show up for one another, especially during these tumultuous times. This next story you're about to hear is one of my favorites and touches on both, on everyday kindness and generosity and the message of welcome and acceptance the smallest of acts sends off. Here is Buki's story as told on stage for 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories on August 8, 2019 at Chicago's Sephamo Theater. Some time ago, I quit my job here in Chicago. And my husband and I and our then three-year-old daughter moved to Rochester, Minnesota for him to complete residency as part of his medical training. Having lived in Lagos, London, and then Chicago, this was a bit of a change for me. You see, Rochester is a small town with a population of about 95,000 people. In comparison, the city of Chicago has a population of about 2.7 million. (laughs) Needless to say, I was apprehensive about this move. I guess you could say I was fatigued about starting over. You know how you go to Comcast to return your receivers? (laughs) And you stand in the line and you get to the front. And just when you get to the front, the person at the front tells you, oh, sorry, you're in the wrong line. You need to go somewhere else. And then so you go somewhere else and then you have to start over again. It's kind of like that. Only many times over. Anyway, I guess I was fatigued about um, getting to find my way around a new place, you know, reintroducing myself to people, coming up with stories every time they ask me, where are you from, you know? And every time I have to reinvent, recreate, it gets a bit tiring sometimes. Anyway, on our first night, I remember on our first night in the new house, I couldn't sleep. And I remember my husband saying to me, Listen, it's quiet. (laughs) There were no car horns or loud music blaring sirens to interrupt the silence. And to my dismay, I realized I was missing the loud music, which I previously loved to hate. (laughs) Earlier that that day, our next-door neighbor, Mr. and Mrs. Dunn, a white couple, in their mid-70s, had stopped by to welcome us to the neighborhood. They had lived in the house next to us, which was built at the same time as ours, since the 60s. And they had seen people move from our house and it changed hands, different families come and go. And they brought us cookies too. And as they were leaving, they mentioned that they didn't babysit. Now, life in Rochester was very quiet and lonely for me. My husband was either busy working or sleeping. 
the joke among the ladies then was that our spouses were married to their pages. You know, you could, if you couldn't find them anywhere, just page them. They wouldn't respond to the sound of a screaming baby, They'll, but, but they would get up and stand to attention at the sound of a pager. Such was the life of a resident at those times. I can't remember exactly how it happened, but a few weeks after we moved in, our daughter started to go over to the Duns to visit them and to play there. They had these vintage toys they would lay out for her and she would play with it. They even taught her how to put back her toys when she finished playing with them. She never did that with me. <laughs> when I went to pick her up, two-minute conversations could easily turn into an hour of just chatting with them about everything and nothing. They were kind with their words and generous with their listening. We got excited about the, uh, the sight of mini Kit Kats and um, so mini soda cans that they lined up on the kitchen counter awaiting our arrival when we go to visit them. I got excited, and it was my, for my daughter, but I got excited anyway. <laughs> Over time, we developed an ease and closeness that was comforting. By now, a year had passed, and we've welcomed another daughter. And guess who was there to take care of our older daughter when we had to go into hospital? Yes, it was the dance. <laughs> Mr. Don plowed, my, the snow, plowed the snow in the cold winter months. And, when, and when, they, when they were around, because they would usually go to Florida. And on, Sunday, on a Sunday evening, they could be seen taking walks, pulling the girls in toll in the red wagon. They conspired with my husband to arrange a surprise wedding anniversary trip. I still remember the look of mischief and sheer delight on their faces when the surprise was revealed. At the end of residency, we returned to Chicago, but stayed in touch with the Duns. We exchanged letters, and the girls were always happy to receive stuffed envelopes filled with mini candies, books, or soft toys during major holidays. I would usually call them, and they would call me back. And we visited a couple of times. After about two, two years after we left, um, Mrs. Dunn's health deteriorated, and she passed away shortly afterwards. Remember I'd mentioned to you that they didn't babysit? Mrs. Dunn couldn't babysit alone because she had onsets of Parkinson's, and they didn't think it was safe to have the children with her when she did it. Now, a few years ago, Mr. Dunn moved into assisted living, and we went to visit him to check out his new digs. It was a good visit. We talked about the good old days and our time together. At the end of the visit, we, we hugged and we cried for the longest time, or it seemed very long. I guess it takes a while to bind the memories and experiences of many years. Love is strange. It sneaks up on you unexpectedly. It's like that thing you don't know that you want, but turns out to be exactly what you need. So, in my sporadic moments of clarity, I remind myself I will relent more. I will yield more. For who knows what joys will come. Thank you. Thank you. 
Here's Buki, Nestor, and I in Chicago as we discuss what it's like to start over and those that we meet along the way that becomes part of our stories of making home. I think I wanted to tell the story because I think it's it's a story about um, kindness and seeing kindness in the ordinariness of life. It just makes me feel that we need to tell more stories like that because um, stereotypes and um, culture are reinforced by the stories we tell. And I want to tell a better story. I like that, the starting from kindness, um, that intention is lovely. Can you tell me a little bit more about your immigration journey? Because you talked about being from Lagos, Nigeria, and then moving to London, and then Chicago, and then Rochester, and then Chicago. Like, tell me about that journey. Well, um, I was originally born in London, and um, I moved back to Nigeria with my parents when I was little. And I left Lagos um, after college when I was 21, mm. and back to London. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I lived there for many years until then I moved to Chicago. I got married in London and then I moved to Chicago and then, of course, moved again to Rochester, Minnesota and then back to Chicago. Mm-hmm. So it's in that sense, it's been a bit of moving over the years. You talked about starting over. What was it like from when you first did that? And then what does it feel like now, every time you start over? Well, yeah, I, I would love to say that it gets easier to start over, but I, I don't think so. Because when you, you leave some place to start something else over, you lose something. You know, um, you can't take everything with you. Yeah, what, what kind of, what do you mean by you lose something? What, what are some of the things you've... You feel like you've lost. Um, you lose um, people, mm-hmm. friends. I mean, you, you, you stay in touch with them with phones or emails or text or what have you, but it's not the same as the people you see every day where you are. Like, for instance, my parents live in Lagos, Nigeria. I miss my parents. They miss seeing me becoming an adult Mm. You know, living my own life with my children. I mean, they see them once in a while, but it's not the same as if they live down the road or two miles away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They miss all that. And I miss seeing them getting old. Mm. You know, you know. every time I see them after a few years, I think, oh, they've changed a lot. You know, it feels like a lot, lot. And I grieve that. I mean, I talk to them. I, I have a good relationship with my parents. I speak to them almost every day. But still, you, you miss that presence. Right. Sometimes the, I feel like the sentiment is, you know, when you miss a child growing up but I love that you said you miss watching your seeing your parents grow old as well yeah where do you feel like when you think of home is Chicago home for now yes (laughs) 
Why for now? Well, because you never know, you know, mm. up until like um, maybe three years ago, I was sure here was home now. But now I'm not so sure. Hmm. The um, doubt crept in. What happened three years ago, can I ask? Well, I guess um, the um, climate that we find ourselves right now, the political mm. climate, is, is not so friendly anymore. You start to question things you thought were firm and that you knew the answers to. Mm-hmm. And and so I started to query myself. The things I thought I was comfortable in here, I started to look at again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the doubt creeps in. Yeah. And so that's why I say you just never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't have predicted things would be like this. And uh, so, you know, I don't know. Obviously, you're, you see of yourself as American. So um, where does the feeling of, I don't know, rejection or is it, is it racially based or? You know, I, I think is, um, I, I, don't, I don't even know that I would call it racial. It's human, mm. is being treated as other. And that could happen anywhere, you know. You could still be among your kind, you know, same ethnic group from where I come from, and you will be an other too against someone else. So you're being measured against something else. There's something you're being compared to, mm-hmm. right? And I guess we always compare ourselves to something else, well, when the comparisons start to adversely affect you or the environment in which you're in, then there is a problem. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, you know, I would think that the, the, the environment that we're in now is such that sometimes the, it's, it feels like it's, uh, it's not very welcoming, put it that way. Mm-hmm. And now I, I haven't had anything done to me personally, but I see around, I see the pain in people, I see the hurting in people. People previously would be um, hesitant to voice their um, hatred, mm. their deep-seated resentment, you know, because it comes from a really dark place. At least I think maybe they would temper it with some kind of compassion, right? But these days, um, we seem to be um, a lot freer with our dislikes. And, and that is worrisome. Right. Where's your place in Chicago? I don't mean, like, where's your apartment or house? <laughs> I mean, like, who's your tribe? Who do you consider as your tribe in Chicago? Oh, I... I have many, I guess I have many tribes there. Oh, good. <laughs> I have my family, my husband and mm-hmm. my two daughters. I have my friends who I've known for many years who were here when I met them in Chicago. And, and family, we have a cousin. 
my husband does have a cousin. Friends I've made while I've been here in Chicago. I have my church family also. Mm. Um, I have I volunteer as well. I have my volunteer families too. You know, it's it's I've I've made friends along the way that you know you know they're kind of like all oh, just different different connections mm -hmm. over the years that that kind of like makes up my tribe. Even my children's school, I've made friends with the parents, other parents, and they've become my friends. You know, they've helped to cheer my children along and I've cheered theirs along over the years. And so th those are my tribe. I want to go back to this story a little bit. Um, you talked about the Duns being basically... I feel, you know, I think um, they became your, let's say family, but I, I don't know. Would you say that? Okay. Family. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about that discovery. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that caught me by surprise. I guess it's, and that's why I guess in some sense, I feel that you can never be certain about anything. Because you, you come in with a um, preconceived notion of what you're looking for and you think you know it and that you recognize it. And then mm -hmm. something kind of like comes up and just kind of sneaks up on you like that. And you don't, you know, you don't even know it's happening until after it's done. I mean, right off the bat, when we moved to Rochester and, um, you know, my daughter started started going over to the Duns, you know, they were very welcoming people. Um, they were very friendly and kind. Mrs. Dunn, you know, she was always looking out for me and mm -hmm. um, looking out for, you know, was I being safe? <laughs> was I, you know, was I okay? And they, they could just have jolly well have been my parents mm. because they, they, were, they were grandparents to my, to my daughters. And it, it was just in the... Um, the unassuming, warm way in which they received me and cared for me, so much so that I didn't notice, right? I guess maybe I would, I, I, I mean, because I think about it, what do I have in common with 70-something-year-old right. white couple in Rochester, Minnesota? I, I'm an African, I'm a Nigerian, mm -hmm. right? Granted, I've probably been a couple of places, I've met people, but... I'm still a Nigerian to the core. And, you know, I, I, I guess I would have thought, you know, what would I have in connection with them? What, what would I be able to talk to them about? Okay, we'll mm -hmm. probably be able to talk about the weather or something. Right, like, right. You know, but, but I guess in, in the, during the length of time, we got to know each other. And there was space for that mm -hmm. also to happen. And it was non-threatening. -thre and so, you know, I, I guess I, I got a chance to know them. They mm. got a chance to know me. And uh, we, we, we didn't talk about any, I mean, it wasn't like, okay, we want to know where did you come from or, you know, those kind mm -hmm. of things. No, it was just in doing everyday things. That's mm -hmm. all. And I guess there were just people who were open and kind. And maybe perhaps um, they see me as their child. And I think that maybe that is, maybe that is the thing that really anchors this, you know, is that you could look at the other person and you could see that, well, that could be me. Hmm. It, it could be my child. It could be, you know, I mean, 
my, my daughter, my older daughter who's in college, I think if she goes somewhere, you know, I'm concerned about would she be okay if she went somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, think about the, I think about the dance, I think about their stories, and I think to myself, I hope, I pray that she meets someone like the dance mm-hmm. who will be kind to her, who will see her and be kind to her. But in the same vein, I'm always, my eyes are always open now. I look. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to see the me of that time right. so that I could be the dance to someone else. Do you understand yeah, what I yeah. mean? So I am always, I'm always looking. I'm always looking at that person, looking for who is that person who is new here, who needs a bit of support, who, um, are they struggling? Are they not struggling? Are they on their own? Where can I help out? Right. Or can I just sit with them? Can I just talk to them? Whatever it is that would make things a bit easier for them. Life can be tough. Sometimes people would not necessarily announce to us what's going on with them. But sometimes if we just sit with them and we provide the space, as a safe space. Mm-hmm. You never know what would happen. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like the Duns, they're... Wherever they were at in their life, you know, they were really generous um, in just sort of like, okay, let's see, let's see where this goes also. How much do you think, you know, going back to your comment about missing knowing your parents as they grow old, how much do you think that has to do with your experience with meeting and living alongside the Duns? <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, uh, yes, I, I could see that because I guess I, I, maybe I, it was me getting the opportunity to see my parents getting old, right? And because I, I guess I too would have fallen into a role of a daughter, mm-hmm. right? And who, you know, uh, who needs things that parents would give a grown-up, you know, woman as a daughter. And so I guess in that sense, uh, that was happening because also that gave me maybe a, a sense of peace because then my parents too are in a place where there, there is someone else there mm-hmm. who is probably acting in my place as a daughter someone who's totally not related to them, but who's helping them out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I speak to my parents all the time and they have all these people who, you know, I, I don't know some of them. I've never seen them, but I hear about them. These are people who are part of my parents' lives. Right, right. Right? They, these are their own communities, their own tribe too, right? As Exactly. So I guess it's, it's a dual thing. So I'm kind of like in one spot, I can see things the getting be being the daughter and also seeing the opportunity my parents getting old maybe not exactly my own parents but someone else's parents mm-hmm. getting old and getting the opportunity the chance to love on them too i'm from hong kong the idea of the family unit and mm-hmm. what it means to be neighborly and you know is i think is different you know, not necessarily better, but very different than from the U.S. And you just kind of touched on this, you know, your 
parents also have their own their tribe. Um, what do you? What are, What are some of those elements? Do you think is like missing in your experience here in the U.S. that might be different? You know, at least in your mind. Right. Well, um, I guess if I was in Nigeria, I'd be surrounded by immediate family or extended family. Also, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you're. African, you know, we we do the cousins and the uncles and the aunties and and, and your children grow up with that and knowing that there's a sense of identity that comes with that. Mm. Now, I didn't know that really until I moved abroad. Mm. I didn't, I I, I guess maybe I took it for granted, right? Because it's always there. It it comes, it, it is ups and is downs, you know. And I guess coming abroad, I mean, it was coming abroad that I realized I was black. I didn't know I was mm. black before, but and but also is then realizing th- there's something that happens with you seeing, being with people that look like you mm. and that you see every day, doing everyday things, just progressing in life and doing well. Right, doing life well or doing life badly, whichever one you choose. Right, Mm -hmm. there's a difference between then coming abroad and then all of a sudden you don't see people that really look like you that often, and you're constantly aware that you are different. It's something you, you, you know, you probably didn't. It wasn't even in your psyche before, but all of a sudden, like I said, I mean, it, it didn't occur to me that I was black until mm-hmm. I came. And especially I was even more aware of it when I came to the United States that, oh, okay, I mm. am black. You know, it, it wasn't something I wake up and I think, oh, you know, I'm black. But here you are constantly reminded of that. And, um, you, you know, and there are many things you get used to. You have to get used to. You have to understand the language here. When I say language, I don't mean English. There does, um, there's the language we speak with our eyes, with our body, that um, if you grew up within a culture, within a space you're familiar with, and if you didn't grow up within a culture or a space, it goes over your head. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while for you to cue into things and realize, oh, when they said that, this is what they really right, meant. Right, yeah. But you had no clue, right? Yeah, but so here you, you kind of, I mean, you have friends, you, you get to know people, and there are good, kind people. I have to say that because I know I've been fortunate to meet a lot of people who've been really kind to me, who've mm-hmm. given me a space to be myself. But you have to learn that. You're, you have to learn that. You have to learn how to be with this mm. new place, right? Yeah. How to be a different kind of person. I really like the idea of starting over, reinventing yourself. And although you're starting over and reinventing yourself, you still are looking for that human uh, connection with people and getting to know others as people and um, finding out that there is uh, common ground basically yes I, I guess I, I guess that is the um, the willingness to be open 
I, I guess that's why I, I said in the story that I realized that I would have to yield more. I would have to relent more. My um, baseline would be to be cautious, right? But that would only work for so long. I mean, if I'm going to get to know other people, especially if I'm in a new place, I have to um, be willing to move, move towards something, mm. move towards people, move towards, you know, what do I want to learn? Because I'm in a new place. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck. Now, I'm not saying that that move is always easy. It comes with a lot of difficulty, pain, getting out of my comfort zone. But I have to move. But most importantly, I need to move towards something, towards something that would help me grow. And you never know what that is. And sometimes, as in the case of the dance, it moves you towards love. And what more, what a better thing for you to be moved towards at that time that also adds, adds like a garden that also cultivates other things, other relationships. I mean, because the relationship I developed with these people put me at ease in a way that makes me more welcoming to other similar relationships with people who don't look like me, mm -hmm. don't have no bearing, because now I'm, I'm kind of like open to that because, mm. you know, you don't know what would happen. Right. Yeah. It's, for me, it's interesting that you call it love too because not, it's not necessarily that everybody would say, ah, that's love. That's a big word. Mm. Love is a big word and love is a big feeling that you allow yourself to I don't say allow yourself but something like that right like you you know in, in talking earlier about like running away you know you could have just been like oh this is just our neighbor right and they're just being nice or they're just being you know or like yeah we yeah he that you know Mr. Dunn's you know clears the snow from my driveway that's really nice but you use the word love, which is like a big thing. I, I think the way I look at it is they thought of me. They saw me. Mm. Do you know? For someone to do something for you, you were first a thought in their mind. And then that came out to action. Right? So they saw me. They saw me as a person. And then they, they did things for me. They listened to me. I talked their air off because I was lonely. Mm. In listening to me, they loved me. They cared for me. They didn't judge me. And that, for me, that is love. Mm. They recognize that, you know, I'm a person who takes up space. And they recognize that person. I'm human. Mm. That is what love is to me. It's seeing others as human, as you, as, you, as me. And I think that is the basic thing, really, because we all crave connection. We all crave love. We don't know where it's going to come from. Mm -hmm. But is there at least the possibility? 
the last couple minutes, I usually like to wrap up with just more of what else you want to share about how you feel about like this this moment in terms of like immigration and refugees and what I think about it is spread kindness if you do that I don't think you could go wrong to refugees to immigrants Remember that um, they're people too. They're coming from somewhere. They left something. They're moving towards something else. They have all the same hopes, all the same dreams. They're human. They hurt too. They disagree. They can be good and they can be bad. They are human because mm. that's what humans do. And to also remember that those people could be you. That was Chicago-based storyteller Buki Omoshini. Buki was born in London, United Kingdom, but grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, with her parents, sister, and many extended families. She has lived on two continents, moved far too many times for her liking, but have encountered people of various origins and color, mostly strangers, who've extended grace to her and her family. She is married to her spouse of 24 years, and together they have two daughters. You can catch Buki telling stories in Chicago. She's told stories at the local Moth Story Slam in Hyde Park. Immigration Stories with Nestor Gomez is a production of 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories. More information on 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories can be found on our website, NestorGomezStoryteller.com, and the show's Facebook page. Please contact us if you have a story you want to share or would like to invite the show to your city or organization near you. Immigration Stories podcast is created, produced by Nestor Gomez and Angel Link. Thank you for listening. Please remember to like and share.